Hey everybody, it's Lonnie. Dr. Jones and I recorded a whole fantastic episode for you guys, but we forgot to mention next week's reading assignment. Don't worry, we're getting a handle on things and we will not forget again. But for now, I just wanted to let you know that next week's reading assignment is Rising Strong, Chapter 2, Civilization Stops at the Waterline, and Chapter 3, Owning Our Stories. The full reading and discussion schedule is available on the website at chipperish.com. Just go to shows and then big strong yes, and you will find it there. Also, we have a Twitter hashtag, hashtag big strong yes, for discussion and announcements on Twitter. And for Patreon supporters, we have a big strong yes chat room on Discord where Dr. Jones and I are available for discussion and support and just general chit chat. It's a lot more intimate than Twitter, fewer people, and you can go over 140 characters. So if you really want to get into the discussion, that's the place to be. Thanks so much. We'll be sure to fold all that information into the next episode. But for now, enjoy. Big Strong Yes, Episode 1, Yes And. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong Yes. So you did the reading. I did the reading. We did the reading. Right? Yes. Um, we did the reading. How are you feeling about that? How are you? I mean, we were we were struggling with this, you know, going into Rising Strong because it is it's kind of a challenging text. I mean, it's good. And I love Brene Brown, but it's tough. It is really tough. It is really tough. And it was interesting because I read the book this time and wrote on the pages. Mm-hmm. And it's different. So did I. Yeah. You know, yeah, and it, it is. It's mm-hmm. different than listening to the audio. Mm hmm. In ways that I kind of didn't expect it to be. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. So I kind of have a hypothesis now that I think this book was really, Ooh. really tough for her, too. Because she starts yeah. out kind of with her guard up a little. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. difficult to get into this book. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely I definitely see that. Because there is something, and I think it has a lot to do with that that vulnerability, right? Because when you're an academic, this is one of the things like I I would talk about in my classes, you know, when you're the teacher, you're standing up in front of these people, you're standing up in front of these kids, and you're presenting yourself, you're the expert, you're the authority on whatever it is that you're there to teach, right? And so there's something in that authority in like the professorship that puts you in this invulnerable space that you can hide behind, you know, like you can use the language and you can use the terms and you can use like all of the things that you've learned that have gotten you to this place where you're teaching these kids, you know, and that can put distance between you and them. You know, the kind of language that you use can be distancing, you know. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and I find that um, kind of like I see that in the language that she's using that even as she's talking about vulnerability and she's talking about, you know, being face down in the mud and bloodied and all that kind of stuff. Stuff. Like you can feel her using this uh, very practiced kind of self-help language even in that. And I think part of that, too, is probably because when you're a writer, 
you write and rewrite and rewrite and revise the first couple of chapters like more than any of by the time you get to the end it's like the it's like the fourth kid right who doesn't have a baby book who doesn't have any school pictures you know n- you've never bought them a piece of like a, a piece of clothing that is actually theirs it's all hand-me-downs you know so i think that like by the time you get to the end of the book you're like ah it's slapdash and you throw it away but in the beginning you you practice so much and you're working with it so much and you're working the dough and you're working the language and it almost feels like maybe she over worked the dough a little bit in these opening chapters is that yeah I thought so too and and then I think mm-hmm. like when I read the introduction as an academic I thought she's almost anticipating criticism from other academics mm-hmm. because she did make oh, yeah. this mm-hmm. I mean this is this is hardcore research I mean there's serious social yeah. science in this in this work and she is an amazing mm-hmm. researcher but I think she takes yeah. a lot of flack and a lot of criticism for trying to make her work accessible to people outside of academia. And right. you know, once you're in the academic cult, people don't really like for you to get out of it. And mm-hmm. that that language as distance, language as power is a big part mm-hmm. of, of what academia yeah. unfortunately does. Um, I know how to switch it on when I have to. And I can talk like Dr. Mm-hmm. Jones. And I can write. Sure. I can write like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I can emotionally connect with anyone when I'm writing like that. And so I, yeah. I think it was mm-hmm. actually incredibly brave of her to, to take mm-hmm. that stance with this writing. You know, this could have yeah. been a, a research journal article. This could have been a textbook. But instead, she chose mm-hmm. to make this an accessible work. And I can only imagine how difficult that was for her. But I think that that was what I was sensing in the beginning that might make the book yeah. a little hard to get into. Sure. Yeah. And I think as an academic, you would have a greater understanding of that than probably most people would like you'd be able to kind of sense those patterns yeah. of of defensiveness in academia because a lot of academia you know and and again like you know I mean I have taught on a college level but my highest degree is a bachelor's like you know like I I come from a professor of practice you know because I've been writing and, and doing all this stuff with stories for all these years um, but I don't have that kind of academic background but you know I'm around it a lot right. and and I see how you know there are ways that that you can kind of hide inside of that that academic cloak you know that there are things built into this academic cloak that sort of protect you you know if you if you do it the right way if you do it like when she's talking about quantitative versus qualitative research oh absolutely you know and how everybody was like the quantitative is the only one with value and that qualitative research is looked down upon you know and and unfortunately Um, that's still true and when I when I started my dissertation program there was a professor who had encouraged me to apply for years and and we had been friends I mean we had been colleagues and he kept telling me you know you've been in academia for a while you have your master's you really need to finish you've got to go for the PhD Mm -hmm. and really encouraged Mm me Mm -hmm. and so I, I finally did it and I like Brene Brown completely fell in love with qualitative methodology. I mean, yeah. like hardcore mm-hmm. love at first sight. Like I was writing love songs, right? I love qualitative <laughs> methodology. Like I love it. And yeah. um, this professor who had mentored me for years got so angry with me that he he quit speaking to me and refused to be on my committee. And because he was so oh my he was God. so disappointed in my choice to pursue a qualitative dissertation and not only did I write a qualitative study I wrote in first person 
in my dissertation, <gasps> which I had to have approved. Oh, my God. Like, I had to get permission <laughs> to write in first person. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, I turned in this, you know, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think it's considered feminine and it's frowned on. Um, but I don't know how you right. tell a good story without mm-hmm. revealing a little bit of yourself. And and so, no, absolutely. you know, the approach to this book speaks so strongly to me. But And I cannot mm-hmm. imagine at her level, because she is far more published, you know, and, and mm-hmm. known than I will ever be. But I can't imagine mm-hmm. how difficult that must be for her and, and the kind of criticism that she must face on a regular basis. So I really admire her for this approach. Um, I think it took a lot right. of guts. Because she's in these two places. Like, she wants to really connect with people and give them something of value. But at the same time, she is an academic. You right. know, I mean, this is the background that she comes from. But there's this quote on uh, on the second page of a note on research where she opens up. And she says, a single textbook covered qualitative research. And the book jacket was light pink. It was often referred to as the girls, in quotes, research book. Yes. Which is so, to call, I mean... Like, there's so much in that sentence that unpacks, like, just tons of dysfunction, I think, within this this academic space. Like, first of all, that the idea that, that uh, qualitative is somehow a girl's thing and quantitative is where the real work is done. That's where the men are, mm-hmm. you know. That in itself just is so insulting, you know, and it also like, you know, it shuts you off to this entire range of of research and understanding, you know, that that is is incredibly valuable. I mean, obviously, so many people have been reading this work and, and looking at the stuff that she's been doing. It's been incredibly valuable to people. But to still feel that defensiveness that like, you know, that don't do the you know, it's it's basically being an academic like a girl, you know, like throwing yeah. like a girl like it's just yeah. that's awful. Well, and it is unfortunately still a very, very real bias. So quantitative methodology is considered hard science. Mm-hmm. And qualitative methodology is considered, you know, soft and loosey goosey. And but the truth is, I can make statistics say probably what mm-hmm. I would like them to say. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, you right? Can absolutely. What did you Mark can Twain lie your ass right. off with numbers? Mark yeah. Twain said mm-hmm. there are three kind of lies, right? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. And no, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, but with qualitative methodology, if done correctly. I think that it's actually a lot more authentic. It's just harder and it takes more time mm-hmm. and you actually have to talk to people. You can't just put them in a lab and measure them. Um, right. So it's it's just very different. But I think kind of thinking about her work as mm-hmm. she is, she's really taking a big risk here mm-hmm. professionally and she's going up against a lot of norms that I'm sure she was brought up in in academia just as I was so just the way mm-hmm. that she wrote this book I think was an act of courage and I really admire her for that wow I mean I think that's so interesting I think that like your background you know having gotten your PhD having been in academia you have an insight into this that I think probably most of us you know for most of us lay people out here just like reading a book and trying to get through without crying too much um, <laughs> that we don't really see you know 
Um, can you talk a little bit? Because I'm not sure that. Uh, well, okay, let me. See. I'm not sure that everybody in the audience is gonna like really understand qualitative versus quantitative. But let's just face it. Let's just be honest. Like I'm a little. Like I understand that that like qualitative is about like talking to people about the experience, and quantitative is about the numbers. Yes. But like, can you talk to me a little bit about like what you mean when you're talking about qualitative uh, methodology? Sure. So in the simplest, simplest form, you would say quantitative is based on numbers, and qualitative is based on words. Mm-hmm. So if I give Mm -hmm. you a test, if I give you, uh, so your SAT, your, um, Mm -hmm. those kinds of multiple choice, measurable, quantifiable, Mm -hmm. countable data, things that can be labeled and quantified, um, how many aspirin does the average person need, you know, and you take all the data and you average Mm -hmm. it and you have your mean and your median and your mode. Um, if you do a closed ended question where people have to choose pre-selected responses, you know, yes or no, or a Likert scale, do you agree, you know, strongly, not so much? Yes. Those kinds of Mm -hmm. things, Mm -hmm. any kind of data that you can pull into Excel and manipulate and give me percentages and, you know, standard Mm -hmm. deviations, (laughs) all of that (laughs) is going to fall into the quantitative, you know, field. Uh Uh-huh. Whereas a qualitative methodology, there's there's usually, um, you're going to do a case study, you might do interviews, it could be focus groups, but you're going to actually talk to people. And, and at the core of it, you're going to collect stories. And that may mm-hmm. happen through observation. So if you think of, um, like the expression, going native, would be like a researcher who might actually go and embed themselves in a culture for a certain amount of time and the longer Uh the better Uh right and so going native is kind of that idea of becoming like the people that you're studying you know it's kind of Mm -hmm. a kind of a joke because you're supposed to remain objective while also deeply Mm -hmm. studying and observing um you know the the people that you're studying right um and Mm -hmm. so it's it's going to be story based and so Mm -hmm. you're going to have um you're still going to do coding you're still going to code your data you're still going to look for themes there's even software that you can use that Mm -hmm. will help you analyze large amounts of qualitative data and there's definitely a science to it but there's also an art to it and Mm -hmm. I don't think the same holds true with quantitative um right so and it and it comes from a place of scientific privilege I think it used to be very easy to say Unless you can produce this type of data, your work is not valuable. And it kept the field very small. And mm-hmm. when you open that up and you realize in, in qualitative methodology, the researcher is the instrument because you are the one mm-hmm. observing, asking questions. And with proper training, anyone can do it, <laughs> you know. And so it, mm-hmm. it opens the right. door. And it takes some of that power away from, you know, academics or researchers or scientists who might otherwise control the data and I think the biggest difference is in quantitative methodology the people you're studying are subjects and in qualitative Mm -hmm. methodology the people that you're studying are participants and so just the the approach you know the the mindset you have toward the people that you're studying is even different Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting because she has that whole thing. If you apply the who benefits question to the debate in social work, the answer is clear. Traditional quantitative researchers benefited if the profession decided that their work was the only path to truth. Right. 
So, you know, I mean, so that's one of the things. It's it's interesting because she's one of the people who starts asking this question, like, who benefits from these ideas that we accept? You know, she's basically opening this up by rejecting the premise. Right. You know, rejecting the premise that qualitative research, or I'm sorry, that quantitative research is the only path to to answers and to and to the research that you want to do right so it's interesting now why do you think she opens up because i gotta say like for the average person you go in and you listen to her saying a note on research it feels a little defensive it feels like she's coming into this and that this isn't written for those of us who like need to figure out how to rise strong man you know that it's it's written to like defend her work to the people who would criticize it from her you know her community of researchers and phds and that kind of thing is that is that the sense that you get from this i was trying to decide because i did think it was Mm -hmm. unusual i was surprised to see that that was a note Mm -hmm. at the beginning instead of the end yeah and i wonder Mm -hmm. was that an editorial decision and perhaps not hers at all Mm -hmm. you know i don't know um but i will say that once you're conditioned to doubt yourself or once you're conditioned to to think of things as less than it takes a hell of a long time to get over that and so even oh you know and this is an area where where she still struggles and I think a lot of people still struggle Mm -hmm. so it may Mm -hmm. be um you know something that she's still dealing with or that she feels like she had to cover at the beginning and the funny thing is is if Mm -hmm. I wrote a book like this I would probably do the same thing and I don't know that I even would have been aware of it before but I probably would have done the mm-hmm. same thing. That's really interesting. Because, like, I think for, like, as I'm reading through this note on research, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things in it that I'm like, oh, you know, this is cool. I like the I don't trust a theologian who dismisses the beauty of science or a scientist who doesn't believe in the power of mystery. I really like Me that. Too. But honestly, I'm not getting into, like, the stuff until we get to truth and dare, the actual introduction. Right. I know. Yeah. You know, and we start talking about about that stuff. Now, I don't know, like this is I, I have gone through the physical book. I have highlighted, I have jotted notes in the margins, and this is something I never do. Like since I was a child, keeping a book pristine you know, is, has been so huge for me. It's like this, you know, like you always have to protect. So to be like marking it up and taking notes, I haven't done that since textbooks in college. So it's really kind of like a wild experience for oh, me wow. to do that with this book. No, I'm a big yeah, believer in Yeah, I mean, do you usually do that? Books. You mark them up? Oh, always. No, I, yeah. I think you should. I really do. I think it's incredibly valuable. And I love that idea. And, you know, like as somebody who's written books, I mean, obviously my books are fiction, so I don't know if people are going to be marking them up or anything. But like, like if somebody marked up my book, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Like that you engaged with the material. But like from my perspective, since I was a kid, I've had this feeling about books, you know, just that they are these incredibly sacred things. Because I'm going to tell a story to the people who are out there who are maybe a little younger than us. There used to be a time when if you wanted knowledge, you had to go to a library and get it. <laughs> like, like go into your computer and search for something. Now, I'm not going to say I don't love the fact that I have all of human knowledge in my back pocket at any given moment. I mean, I love it. But I remember what it was like. And there was something about when I was 11 years old, I lived in a village. I lived down the street from the library. And I went and, and volunteered at the library all summer. 
because I just wanted to be around the books, you know, to, to wander through, you know, wander through these spaces and know that even though I wasn't reading all of them, but the information was there, the knowledge was there, you know? So for me, I have this sacred feeling about books and to mark them up has been, has been somewhat of a challenge for me, although I'm going with it, I'm doing it. So one of my prized possessions is this ratty tattered copy of Anne of Green Gables mm-hmm. uh, paperback and oh. on the inside mm-hmm. cover I have written my name in print I think when I was about seven and then I oh. underneath it is my name written in cursive when I was like nine um, because I had oh. to when once I learned cursive I had to go back and put it in Anne of Green Gables um, oh. but I didn't <laughs> I didn't mark up the pages of that of that book and mm-hmm. I normally don't with fiction but with nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, I learned it as a as a reading strategy, as a learning strategy. Yeah. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. a close reading or an, an active kind of reading. Uh-huh. And I used to do a lot of highlighting. And I had a professor tell me that you know when you're highlighting, you're not really paying attention. Um, oh. That there's something See, I highlighted. Yeah, it. I have this orange highlighter that matches the chipperish orange, yeah. and I just love. Well, it. Well, I so think I it was the way I was highlighting. <laughs> I don't think it was right. you, like an inclusive you. I think it was me specifically because yeah. I mm-hmm. don't know that I was really paying attention to what I was highlighting. I was just kind of highlighting mm-hmm. stuff and just, just kind of scrubbing through. Yeah. It, right? So mm-hmm. she told me to use a, a color pen that would stand out against the page and to circle uh-huh. or underline and make small notes in the margins. And it makes me really engage Ooh. deeply, right, with the book. Um, and she taught me to oh, cool. always circle words that I don't know what they mean so that I could look them up and <gasps> That's build so cool. my vocabulary, right? And so I've done that for years and I still do it. So um, uh-huh. in Rising Strong, I have underlines and notes in hot pink. Because that just felt like the color <laughs> to use for this book. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I love that idea. Like, I just I just went through and highlighted. I'll, I'll take a picture of my book. You should take a picture of yours, and we'll put it up on the, oh, totally. uh, the show notes. Okay, yeah. That'll be so cool. We can do right, that. So we'll do awesome. that. Awesome. Because I, I didn't have much. Like, I, I highlight occasionally when I see something that, like, jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. And then I'll make a little note in the margin if I want to remember why I highlighted. But I didn't do much with it. So I really want to see what you're doing because that may be an approach that I may want to try, you know, from here on out. Oh, yeah. But, um, okay, so going through that truth and dare and introduction, what jumped out at you? What do you have? So in the truth or dare section, let's see. We can go through this. Um, <laughs> I thought this was this was really interesting that she started sort of explaining the evolution of her work, um, mm-hmm. which I thought was great because I've sort of read these books in order. Oh, yeah. So when she mm-hmm. talked about, you know, in The Gifts of Imperfection, her big idea, you know, was to be you, be yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. love yourself mm-hmm. for who you are. And then Daring Greatly, you know, she said, be all in, which mm-hmm. is hard for me, but I'm, I'm yeah. getting there. And then in Rising Strong, you know, it's fall, get up and try again and I think Mm -hmm. her idea of trying to slow down the fall right like to put the fall itself in slow motion um, Mm -hmm. really hit me hard and I had a bit of an emotional reaction to that that I did not expect um, which was something I struggled with Mm -hmm. and and wrote about a little but three Mm -hmm. years ago I had a big fall a physical fall and I shattered Mm -hmm. my right arm um, and oh, I shattered yeah. my elbow completely and I broke my arm oh. in several interesting places. 
And um, so I have a metal elbow and I have a big metal <laughs> plate in my arm. And it looks awful because there's been several surgeries and giant scar. Mm. And my arm will not ever go straight. I can never straighten it out again, ever. And <sighs> it took months and months of very painful physical therapy to be able mm-hmm. to hold a pen again and to be able to write. Oh, my God. And mm-hmm. I think it made me realize um, how much I truly loved the physical act of writing, like the actual pen on oh, paper, yeah. because I couldn't do it for so long. Mm-hmm. But when she talks about learning how to fall, I remember when I was I was mm-hmm. in the hospital, I think with surgery number two, and a friend of mm-hmm. mine texted me and she said, girl, you have got to learn how to fall. Like, <laughs> you're not supposed to fall and break yourself. You're supposed to fall. You got to learn how to fall. And I remember thinking, who the hell learns how to fall? Well, right. come to find out, it's a thing. And mm-hmm. it's if you take martial it's- arts or self-defense or something, they teach you how to fall so that you can fall oh without God. hurting yourself. And I'm like, damn, I wish I had gotten that lesson earlier. Right. You know, but I think that it transfers to this idea that, you, you are going to fall if you if you try anything, if you're brave enough to try mm-hmm. anything or have any yeah. kind of change in your life, you're going to fall. But mm-hmm. you can learn how to fall in a way that won't break you. And it might hurt. Wow. Right. It, it might <laughs> suck um, and you might get covered in mud, but you can learn how yeah. to fall without breaking your bones. And, and I think wow. that that really resonated with me. That does. That's interesting. Like from, I mean, now I want to take a, you know, martial arts class <laughs> and learn how to fall before I get to the point where I'm going to be falling and breaking my hip, which isn't too many years in the future, the older I get. I had a birthday this week. Happy I'm feeling birthday. my mortality. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm feeling my mortality. I got to tell you. So I think the falls that they're talking about are the, the, the emotional kind, like where your life just feels like it's, it's falling apart as opposed to those physical kinds. Like, how do you learn to to fall in that in that way in that kind of like spectacular your whole life has crumbled way so I think when you if you put that lens on the book then that's really what this book Mm -hmm. is about it's about learning how to fall and not celebrating Mm -hmm. you know being tough and not celebrating this false sense of grit and not telling yourself well just Mm -hmm. think more positively everything's going to be okay but but actually (laughs) freeze frame slowing down the fall itself and dissecting it and Mm -hmm. learning from it because you can learn how to fall without breaking. And I think that's really the point of the book. So Mm -hmm. what about you? What did you take away from the introduction? Um, Well, one of the first things that, uh, that jumped out at me was when she was talking about um, talking to a lot of people and like getting all this stuff and then asking herself the question, What are these people with strong relationships, parents with deep connections to their children, teachers nurturing creativity and learning, clergy walking with people through faith, and trusted leaders have in common? The answer was clear. They recognize the power of emotion, and they're not afraid to lean into discomfort. And as I'm reading this, I highlighted the descriptions that I felt like applied to me and uh, strong relationships. I guess I do have strong relationships. I was thinking romantic relationships in which I have been um, just a hot mess. (laughs) Um, 
but uh, but parents with deep connections to their children, I have that. My children and I are very deeply connected. We've always been, and that's one of the things that I've always fostered with them. Um, and teachers nurturing creativity and learning, you know, because those are, that's one of the things that I love doing. I love teaching so much. It's like my favorite thing to do. I love, you know, when I get these students, and you know, now I'm full time at the university as staff, so I'm not going to be teaching as much anymore. But my God, I would love getting these kids in my class, some of whom weren't even interested in writing. They were just there because they had a requirement. They have to take this stupid class, <laughs> the screenwriting class, you know, and I would get them. And I think they're so young and they haven't learned any bad habits yet. It's like fresh snow and I can teach them all the cool stuff. And I would come in so excited. And I would say, today is the best day. Today is the day you start the best class you're going to take in new house. You know, and I would go <laughs> through this whole thing. It was really great. So I thought about that. I'm like, these things apply to me and then you know they recognize the power of emotion which is something I do but then we get they're not afraid to lean into discomfort and I'm like oh hell no <laughs> I am completely afraid of discomfort I hate discomfort I hate situations where I don't know what I'm doing I don't have a hold on everything and then so I wrote in the margin I said very afraid you just do it anyway <laughs> you, know? you just do it because you know it has to be done that you have to be able to kind of lean into discomfort and uncertainty which is you know so incredibly difficult and given an opportunity like given a choice any day of the week I would choose to like you know yeah I'll skip the discomfort and uncertainty today thank you very much but you can't because that's just what life is you know um so that was a thing that kind of uh kind of jumped out at me you know like first thing in this and then she talks Rising strong after fall is how we cultivate wholeheartedness in our lives. It's the process that teaches us the most about who we are. And of course, I take everything back to fiction because, you know, I've got this storytelling background. And um, and Brene Brown, when I watched her, her TED Talk on vulnerability in 2010, when that came out, it changed my life in fiction. It changed the way that I like to figure Like I took this thing that she was talking about that was very personal and very vulnerable and very uncomfortable. And I made it about my work. So I've actually taken this vulnerability thing and I made it into something that is part of my theory of character that, you know, we connect characters the same way we connect human beings. And like Brene Brown was saying that, you know, it is through vulnerability that we connect with each other. You know, I was like, that's how you connect with character. And I used it to build this whole character triangle, you know, character building theory that I do. And it's great, great stuff. It really is. Everybody listen to How Story Works. I'll talk about that. Okay, that's amazing. Um, But... (laughs) Yeah, no, but I mean, like, I took her work on vulnerability and put it into my work. And and work is something that you can always stay, like, you know, like, you can stay a step away from as far as it it getting to your internal core, you know, like, you can, you can always make it, you know, um, intellectualize all of this stuff. And so I made all of her work in vulnerability about my work in storytelling, and then used her theories to build my theories in character building, which was really, really great. And then, you know, she's talking about how like it makes us, it's the process that that shows us who we are, you know, and I used that because I'm like, when you have a character and you make them make a choice, you can tell who they are by the choices that they make. Right. You know, it is only through the choices that people make that you can tell who they are. So as I'm going through all of this stuff, I am like actively pulling everything into a workspace for me into that is amazing so that I can I can put that like bubble wrap wrap between me and all of that really raw (laughs) vulnerability so 
here is how I know that we were meant to do this podcast together. All right. Now, <laughs> listeners everywhere, yes. I swear on everything holy in my life, I swear on coffee that Lonnie and I have not discussed this before this recording. No, we haven't. Okay. So in 2010, I started my dissertation yeah. and watched Brene Brown's <laughs> TED Talk, which completely changed the direction of my research. And each chapter of my dissertation starts with a quote. And one of them oh is a quote God. from her about maybe stories are just data with soul. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, we are meant to have this discussion. Right obviously. Now, so that is, yeah. You know, <laughs> but her her work, and this is the thing, like, there are some people who do get put off, I think, by the, the self-helpy vibe, because there's so much bullshit in self-help. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, let's not forget that Tim Ferriss is a thing. Yeah. Before our work week. Well, before see, our millionaire. Screw you, Tim yeah, Ferriss. That doesn't My happen, theory you know? of self-help goes back to when I was in labor. Mm-hmm. Let me sum it up for you. Mm-hmm. So I will never live this down. Mm-hmm. My mother is still horrified by my behavior. But when I was in labor, and y'all know, it's not Mm -hmm. fun. And my OBGYN was very sweet, but he was also a man. And I remember at one point, he patted my knee and said, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And I then sat up in bed and cussed a blue streak and yelled at him, you know, how the holy fuck do you know how many vaginas do you have and how many babies have you pushed out of them? Like, as I I will, I mean, my mom, I know, but, but what I have learned is I don't want to learn from someone who has not gone through the thing that they're trying to teach me. Yeah. If you haven't written a book, don't try Mm -hmm. to teach me how to write. Right. If you haven't run a marathon, Mm -hmm. don't tell me how to do one. And I think that that's really the difference. And at first, the vulnerability and the real stories that she ends up sharing, I don't know, are so obvious at the beginning of this book. But then Brene Brown gets real. And and so I think you just have to stick with it because it's there. And and so I respect Mm -hmm. her. Because I think she has the research behind this, but I also think mm-hmm. she has the lived experience behind this. Um, no, I think she really does. And that's the thing that I really like about her. You know, so when people get put off, and especially I think in the opening of this, she is wrapping herself a little bit yeah. in the language, I think, because what she's doing here is incredibly brave and incredibly vulnerable. And with all the extra perspective that your understanding as an academic gives us to this, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that that, um, you know, that kind of opens that up a little bit and, and gives me, you know, a, a sense of where she's coming from personally. And she struggles so much with this stuff because this isn't her nature. Right. Like if you've seen her TED Talks yeah. and that was part of the homework, you know, for last the last time with the the opening episode that we did you know before we we started in the reading right you know we told everybody to watch all the ted talks you know mm-hmm. and when she does her ted talks you know she's so like resistant to even her own work yes she's i know like i don't like it <laughs> i don't like, like it <laughs> i like when she talks about going to see the therapist that treats therapist oh she's yes. like all right look let's just get in and out like whatever we're done i right. but i love that about her mm-hmm. because i'm the same way like I, like yeah, and I and I mm-hmm. cannot stop laughing at the irony 
of doing a podcast about vulnerability because that is probably my least favorite emotion in the whole world. <laughs> I don't it is a really difficult thing to do. No, I was thinking about this because we were talking about journaling, you know, in the opening episode. Right. And we were talking about like how difficult it is to journal. And I was like, well, you know, I hate journaling. I hate all this stuff. But like I did a blog a couple of years ago when I was going through my first divorce. And um, and it was all about the experience that I was going through. And I was sharing like vulnerable stuff. And it was essentially journaling. Right. But I realized that as I was writing the blog, um, I was writing it in a way that was talking about me and my life. But I would always try to make it universally applicable that, that the people who came to read that blog, you know, would find something there that was about them. And so for me, I was always like, okay, I'm going through this, but here's what it means to you. Right. And like, I think that's why the blog ended up becoming, you know, like fairly popular and I had, I had something of a following. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was, you know, this whole big thing, but I think like for me, I didn't want, I don't want to journal just for me. Because I don't want to sit here and have these conversations about, oh, wow, yes. you know, my life is so tough. Like, you know, um, and I, I hate that, like digging into my deepest vulnerability. If it's not of value to someone else, I don't want to do it. Like the only time I will, I will publicly engage with my vulnerability if I feel like it's of value to somebody else. Like, and that's part of the reason why <laughs> I, I, I'm doing this podcast with you, because I won't do this work unless I feel like, okay, I'm doing a podcast. It's a value to other people. Kelly and I are going to go through this process together. It's going to be a value to her. You know, like I, I don't want to talk about my vulnerability and my situation unless I know that it can have value to other people. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, maybe that's a little weird. I don't think it's <laughs> weird. I think, um, yeah. and I think this is where the difference in our personality lies because mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. go public talking about vulnerability for any damn reason but when Lonnie <laughs> Diane Rich asks you to podcast with her the only acceptable <laughs> answer is yes <laughs> I love the way you talk about me like I'm a you thing. are yeah. like, are when you Lonnie kidding? Diane Rich I am not you a are thing. a total thing I am still completely starstruck <laughs> you are a total thing but I think that you are also very strongly empathetic I think you know um you you may be an empath or be on that that oh no I totally you know, on I that totally spectrum am an right empath. it's it's horrifying yeah um mm -hmm. so I I can only imagine as acutely as you experience other people's pain how then deeply you mm -hmm. have to experience your own like I cannot even fathom <laughs> the emotional stress that you must go through um I'm I'm pretty good about like taking feelings putting them in a box and just kind of sticking them in the side and being like all right y'all what's next like mm -hmm. I'm pretty good yeah, <laughs> with that but um you know um but you feel deeply and I think that it it mm -hmm. makes you I, I don't know I think it has to be really difficult but you always want to help other people and because you're perceptive to other people's struggles that I think you can tend to put mm -hmm. your own on the back burner. Oh, yeah. No, if I'm making things about other people, then I don't have to think about me. You know, like, so I, because that's the thing, like I do, I have this empathy thing and everybody who's listened to me talk about stories knows this, this is the reason why I can't engage with horror movies, really. Right. Um, you know, because it's because I feel everything like I feel if somebody walks in a room I actually absorb their emotions mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's it's exhausting so I'm actually an extroverted person but I have to shut myself up in a room 
you know, for a certain number of hours a week, just so I'm not feeling anybody else's pain, you know, and I tend to like take on the pain of others. Mm -hmm. And like my whole goal in life is to make them feel better. And God damn it, I will fucking do it. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I will cheer people up whether they want me to or Mm -hmm. not. And this is the whole thing where Chipperish came from, right? Because I'm I'm really good friends with uh, Jennifer Cruzy, who's this amazing author who, you know, I was a big fan of and then she and I became close. So, you know, so she was actually a thing. Like Jennifer Cruz is actually she is a thing. thing. I'm not you are a thing. thing. Um, she is a thing. But um, but you know, she and I became close, and she has this. You, I, I call it an edginess. She does. to her, which I, I adore. Love you know, she has an edginess to her, and um, and I'm like, so when she's in a dark place, like, and we lived together for a number of years, you know, and so when she's in a dark place, like, my whole goal in everything is to like bring her, like, to make her happy, to make her laugh, to like <laughs> you know, do anything. And it was one of those days when she was having a shit day, and I was being like super bright sighted that she was like, stop, you know, sending this chipperish at me, you know, <laughs> which of course is chipper gibberish mm-hmm. which is what now I've named my business for you know and um and it's exactly who I am like if if you're feeling bad if you're in a bad place like I will raise you up and if I have to like cut myself and bleed to do that I will do it you know um and it's just kind of part of like who I am because I I there are people that I love to be around but I have to like make them happy you know yeah. Which I think possibly now as I'm saying the words sounds slightly pathological. No, I don't think it's pathological. I think it's just from a deep need to, I mean, you know, we're raised to please others and some of us get hit with that harder. Um, I am raised to, to put others needs above my own, which is a little different. Oh, Um, I might not particularly Mm -hmm. care what kind of mood you're in, but if you need something and I have it, I will give it to you. Even if I really need Mm -hmm. it, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was raised that you are definitely that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, being selfish is, is probably the biggest sin in the world. Um, which taken to an extreme, then at what point do you still have a, a wall for yourself? Right. And so I think emotionally you're Mm -hmm. you may be in the same boat so the point of this journaling is just for us you all you are only journaling in a way that i have to confess i didn't uh if if, if i can count the notes that i made in the margin as journaling okay good then i did it yes (laughs) you can absolutely count the notes that you wrote in the in the margins yes Okay. Okay. Good. I didn't, I didn't write many notes, but I will, like, I'm actually going to get like a a notebook, you know, and the thing is for me to like, you know, those beautiful journals with like the covers and like the pretty and all that. I can't, I have to get like the cheap ass (laughs) notebook because if I'm going to write, I have bought, I have bought so many of those beautiful journals and I can't write in them because they're so beautiful. And I think, well, if I write something in them, it has to be worthy of the beauty. So I go out and buy like the cheapest, crappiest, you know, like spiral bound okay. notebook so from Walmart. And that's the I'm thing that I have to I'm about to add a rule to this podcast. I know we have, Wait, we have, no. yes, we have our big idea, <laughs> our strong challenge and our yes, but we are now mm-hmm. also each allowed to assign a yes to each other because okay. damn, <laughs> You are hereby ordered (laughs) to buy a beautiful journal for this purpose. Uh, And then you have to open it and you have to scribble some ugly ass shit on the first page (laughs) and leave it there. (laughs) And then everything you write after that will be prettier. 
A low bar benefits everyone. Well, I guess it's like the a low bar (laughs) benefits everyone, which has been my thing. I've been saying that for years. It really does. And also the, you know, the right crap thing. Like, you know, right crap because that opens you up to be able to write. write. So, okay, I will go and get a nice journal. I can get a a moleskin journal. I like those. You can get anything that you love. Those are nice. But you also have to post that on Twitter. I will. We will hold you accountable. I will. Now, I did <laughs> buy a, a beautiful journal, journal for this, and I love it. You did. Oh, you got to post a oh, picture of it. I, I love did. that it's journal. It's so pretty. I absolutely love mm-hmm. it. And it's smart-assy mm-hmm. and Ugh. pretty all at the same time. And I do. I, I used to feel that way, too. Um, I used to rewrite mm-hmm. notes in school so that all of my notebooks look pretty. Oh, yeah. But when, when yep. you shatter your arm... In like five places. Yeah. And it takes eight mm-hmm. months to be able to hold a pen again. You you quit caring what your oh handwriting looks like. It was your writing arm? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Of God. course. I knew you'd hurt your arm, but I yeah. didn't realize it was your right arm. Oh, yeah. Arm. I can't do anything the easy way. If I'm going to break my arm, it's going to be my right arm. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going yeah. to do it 100%, right? <laughs> That's right. Damn it. I'm going to do it the hard way. Okay. But, but not being able to write, I used to be so critical mm-hmm. of my handwriting. Even as a kid, like I took calligraphy in the sixth grade and, and still just used to feel. Oh, I did that like, too. Yeah. So self-conscious or that my signature oh, yeah. wasn't pretty. And I mean, I put myself mm-hmm. through hell. Now, first of all, who cares about my handwriting? I have no idea. But I held myself to this impossible. No, I'm the same way. I yeah. hate my handwriting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now I can hold a pen again and I do not give a damn oh. what the writing looks like because That's I am. so awesome. So, you know, write ugly. Write a shitty first draft in that journal. Write, write ugly. ugly. I like that. I like that. I think that that, I think my big yes might actually come from you. No, no, you're not cheating. No, 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 no. You still have to have a big yes. I like that. This is your assignment. All right. I I do. I have a, I have a yes. Yes. I have a a big idea. I have a strong challenge. We'll get to all that. (laughs) This is Dr. Jones assigning you homework. (laughs) Okay. No, I get it. I get it. It's good. All right. So let's dig back into the, uh, you know, the truth or dare. We talked a little bit about gold plating. There is one thing. There is one thing Mm -hmm. we have to talk about. Okay. What's this? So this is also how I knew that Brene Brown was my spirit animal. Because she writes this amazing research-based book. Yes. And (laughs) and yet, in the introduction, she relates her big idea to Sherlock. And... Mm It, and, and the fact that she can write Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman into her yes. book's introduction will always mm-hmm. make her a lifetime hero for me. But oh, she, no, that's wonderful. <laughs> and it's really, I haven't seen that episode either. Like, oh. honestly, I saw the first, the first <gasps> season. I haven't seen the rest of it. Okay, I hereby give you yeah. two homework assignments. <laughs> oh, this is one of my absolute favorite shows. Uh-huh. And... The mm-hmm. episode that she's talking about is is absolutely amazing. And I won't mm-hmm. give away any spoilers, just like she didn't hear. Mm-hmm. But Sherlock yeah. is, is shot, and, and everything mm-hmm. freezes and slows down. Yeah. And he goes into the, his mind palace, and you can see the mental process. He is mm-hmm. figuring out how to fall so that the, the bullet oh, doesn't kill him. Man. So, like, he's literally going through this mental gymnastics that he's capable of doing. And she says that what happens probably in three seconds is played out for almost ten minutes on the screen. But, yeah. But that's no, what, i got to see that. Oh, it's mm-hmm. amazing. But that's what inspired this idea of freeze frame and slowing down 
the fall. Yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. to me, if you can relate anything back to the, you know, BBC Sherlock, I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, I thought that was really affecting passage. I think through this whole thing, you know, as I'm going through it, you know, I'm, I'm reading this stuff and I'm listening to it and I, like, there's good stuff in there and everything, but it's when she's describing what Sherlock is going through in that moment that I, I felt like that was so evocative. And, and as I like listened to the audiobook, that was the first moment in this book where I was like, Oh, you know, and I could visualize what was happening and I, I connected with that moment, you know? Um, so it's, it's a really powerful passage to talk about slowing down that experience of the fall. Right. You know? Okay. So let's go to chapter one, the physics of vulnerability. Uh-huh. What are your big standouts here? What caught your attention? Um, you know, there's this moment where she's talking about, she's got this Theodore Roosevelt quote about being in the arena. And the first thing I highlighted in this chapter is I want to be in the arena. You know, mm-hmm. um, this idea about the, the critic, you know, risks nothing. The critic doesn't, you know, it's the person, it's the guy who's in the arena or the woman who's in the <laughs> arena, you know, who's, who's doing the thing and who's being brave and who's facing risk and falling and failing, you know, that the idea that if you're going to be in the arena, you are going to fail, but I want to be in the arena. Um, and I thought about that. I'm like, you know, that honestly, like all of the things that I've ever done, you know, that have, have like failed spectacular for me were the moments that I stepped into the arena and I said, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, you know? And even when I failed, like, I'm proud that I, I stepped up, that I did the thing. And I, I can really identify with that idea of, I want to be in the arena. And I like, she's talking about all the different kinds of arenas that there are, you know, that like, it can be something huge to something just, you know, taking any kind of risk, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I thought that that was like a really powerful idea. Just taking a moment to accept that, you know, you can play it safe. You can hang back. You can protect yourself. You can, you know, hide away in a corner where, you know, you're safe and you won't be criticized. But I have my entire life stepped into the arena and I've had the shit kicked out of me so many times. And yet every time I get back up and I go back in, Mm -hmm. you know, bleeding and muddy. And honestly, I don't even get that much time between being bleeding and muddy to the next time that I'm bleeding and muddy. It's like, I am in the arena all the time. I've written books that I've loved dearly that have failed commercially, like so much. I got married twice twice and uh you know and I mean both times it just fell apart you know and so like you know and I'm doing podcasts and and going out and like you know being vulnerable in podcasts and I did that blog and like I'm you know I'm always out there in the arena and I'm getting my ass kicked but I'm still going back out and I don't know honestly am I a glutton for punishment is that what this is you know (laughs) but I like I like her narrative that it's about being brave and it's about you know being willing to take those risks I think it's about being brave so the researcher in Mm -hmm. me wants to first define our terms 
because that's always the first step of <laughs> right clear communication and I research right yes i tell my mm-hmm. students all day define your terms define your terms yeah. like you will never leave my class without having that beaten into your head <laughs> so <laughs> i want to know what I is like the it. arena what does the arena mean to you like if you had to define the arena for yourself what is it the arena is that place where when you go in and, and there's this point where she says um, it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Mm -hmm. It's having no control. It's going and trying something and doing something where you are not in control over how it turns out. You know, Mm -hmm. I wrote 13 books, you know, 13 books, which by the way are good goddamn books. They find them on Amazon. They're all over the place. They're really good books, but they didn't like, you know, they weren't commercially successful and a lot of good books aren't, you know, and that happens and and that's fine, you know? Um, But you know, it's, it's, I had no control over whether or not they succeed. I just had control over whether or not they were good. And I achieved that. And so I'm like, okay, would have been nice, you know, <laughs> if I'd been a huge successful author and, you know, and, and was able to do just that instead of like all the, I, I've, I've never not had five jobs at a time. Like I've never not freelanced and worked full time and, you know, all this kind of like, I've never not done that. Right. Um, because you, you got to do what you got to do to get by, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, you know, like I, I, I've done that and, and that was risky. So it's for me, it's like any, any situation where you don't have control over the outcome. I, I got married twice, um, you know, and, and the first time was good. I got my kids out of it and he's a good man. He's, he's a good person, you know, and I'm still friends with him and I have a good relationship with him and that's great. Um, and, you know, I got married the second time. I'm not going to talk about that. And, um, and both of them failed though. It was like, I had, I didn't have control over it because I kept trying like in both relationships to make everything my fault because if it's my fault, I have control, but I don't have control. You know, I don't have control because you're in that with another human being. Like, you know, when you have kids, like the thing that, that, and and having kids is being in the arena because that is the biggest risk you can ever take. When I was pregnant, I thought, God, this kid could come out and be an asshole. Like I don't have control (laughs) over that. You know, I was very lucky that both my kids are amazing and they're people that I would, I would love no matter what, but there are people out there, perfectly good people who just give birth to assholes and it just happens, you know, like you don't have no control over that, you know? Like what you get is what you get. You have a kid and what you get is what you get. Like they're born who they are, you know, and there's some nurture and there's some nature and there's all that argument, but there's a certain amount of just, you, you're rolling the dice and you get what you get, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's like part of it. Like anything where you, you don't have that control. You know, I do all these podcasts and some of them are successful. Some of them not. I lost all of my business, you know, when, when my marriage failed, this most recent one. And, um, and you know, like I had no control over that. And I think that when you when you put yourself in a situation where something deeply matters to you and you don't have control over the outcome like that's the arena Mm -hmm. do you see it that way I do and and it's actually one of the things that I really admire Mm -hmm. about you because you have this brave approach to making things you're going Mm -hmm. you know you're going to make this podcast you get an idea and you make it um and I tend to be reflective to the point of freezing right and so in that if you fight flight or freeze you know I am the girl from Frozen like let it go let it go (laughs) I'm not moving like that's me and (laughs) I think I could like I could observe the arena and I could write some really interesting shit about it and I could wrap a theoretical framework about it 
but you asked me to step into it and I'm going to be like, oh, no, thanks. Like, <laughs> but you're stepping into really, it right now, though. Do you realize that? Only because of you. You're this on is this completely podcast. your fault. <laughs> but, but like, and, and it's not a. But you're doing it. You're doing it, though. And this isn't a serious example. It's kind of a funny example, but. It really hit this home for me. Last summer, my son uh, wanted to study improv, like comedy improv. Uh And we love watching Whose Line Is It Anyway together. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. my theory is if there is an activity that your teenage child wants to do with you, you do it and you don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I signed us both up for a summer improv (laughs) workshop at a community college. And Mm -hmm. it was the most uncomfortable, (laughs) god-awful horrible thing (laughs) I felt like a freaking idiot oh I mean it was awful and I would freeze and the teacher Uh would be like we're not moving until you say something and I'm like damn it like (laughs) so I would have to and nine times out of ten what I said was stupid occasionally I could be funny but Mm -hmm. I was not incredibly good at it and my kid however was fantastic Mm -hmm. at it Um, but when I stand at the front of the room I am used to being Dr. Jones and delivering a well-researched well-laid-out well-organized lecture Um, and and improv was incredibly vulnerable and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and I couldn't I, I wasn't in control. I couldn't direct it. I couldn't pick. I couldn't predict what the person was going to say. And then you have to play mm-hmm. off of that. You can't go back and edit it. You can't polish it up. Yeah. Um, but it was actually a really good experience. And, and it's something I've continued to study and practice. Um, because, you know, like my son keeps telling me, Mom, you got to learn how to relax. <laughs> um, <laughs> but But I think it was just really difficult putting myself willingly into a position where I didn't know what to say. And, and I, and I can't prep for that and I can't study for that, you know, and I can't outsmart it. Mm -hmm. It just happens in the moment. And I really Mm -hmm. hated it, (laughs) but um, but I've gone back in for more. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that arena can be big and it can be small. um, But if it challenges you to that point of willingly, willingly accepting a moment of vulnerability, then it's probably mm-hmm. a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think that's great. Yeah, no, improv, honestly, I did improv in college, and I was terrible. <laughs> I am terrible. I am terrible in the moment. You ask me to do something off the top of my head and forget it. If I'm prepared, you know, that's great. If I can edit it afterward, you know, then I'm cool. But if I'm, like, yes. live in front of an I just, I, I freeze. That's the one time, like, I can't, I can't do stuff that's, like, live improv off the top of my head. That's really, yeah. really hard. But that's incredibly brave that you went and did that. And I love that you did that with your kid. Oh, that's the only reason. That is, he's that never I... going to forget that. Well, we're doing it again together. Um, oh, no, that's awesome. Yeah. But, but it was also. I'm so proud of you. It was really cool as a parent to see how great he was and how comfortable he mm-hmm. was. He was the youngest person there. Everybody else Aww. was adults and he loved it. And, you know, he was great mm-hmm. and he enjoyed talking to everybody. And, um, mm-hmm. but and I, I remember putting on Facebook later, I'm like, y'all, my kid is way funnier than I am. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all my friends were like, <laughs> Oh, sweetie, are you just now noticing that? Because <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh my god. But yeah, yeah. So I think that sometimes life throws the arena at us or throws us in it. And sometimes mm-hmm. we can choose to step into it and maybe it's learning how to fall in both situations 
that yeah. that is ultimately really good for us. Um, I mean, I lost sleep yeah, I over so. the improv class, which was ridiculous. Oh, you know, I mean, I've been a single mom for 18 years. I have struggled. I've overcome. I've gotten educated. I've broken an arm and healed it. Like I've moved across the country mm-hmm. by myself. I have done big things. Um, yeah. I still lose sleep over the little things. <laughs> well, yeah, no, seriously. Know? The little things will get you. <laughs> yeah. But, but I lose sleep over the big things too. But mm-hmm. it's, it's that knowing that I am purposefully, willingly putting myself in, in a point of vulnerability. I don't like mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I still yeah. don't like mm-hmm. it. Uh, but I'm trying to be open to it. Yeah, no, that's, I'm incredibly impressed by that. Cause I don't know that <laughs> I would, I would be able to do like an improv Oh, I think you could hold your own in improv. (laughs) Oh, I was so scarred by the experience in college that I don't know if I will ever, ever be able to. But the thing that I love about improv, though, and the thing that I didn't understand when I was in college, because we just were had this like group of people and you're just students and like nobody tells you how to do anything. You're just like, oh, okay, we'll improv, you know, Um, and nobody knows. But the the whole idea of the yes and that like in improv, you always whatever anybody says, you go, yes. And, and exactly. you accept it and you acknowledge something mm-hmm. else. Cause as soon as you say no, you're stopping everything dead. And there's something about life. And I think going into the arena, which yeah. requires that attitude of yes. And like, all right, great. Here's a podcast. Yes. yes and. and I'm going to do this. Like, and you just do it, you right. know, you just make it happen. You just right. like, and there's so many things that like, um, that, you know, that I've done in my life that have been so far from perfect that have been so far from polished and I've done them in public spaces, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet like, even when things have been, like not as good as I would like them to be because of course we always want them to be perfect because what's perfection what is perfection and perfectionism if not the running from vulnerability right or, or just saying you know, far away from pursuit it possible yes absolutely exactly perfectionism yeah. is about invulnerability and we're trying to embrace vulnerability you know so it has to be imperfect you know and I think that that is so incredibly like brave and not just that but like important it is important to be imperfect it is important to screw stuff up it is important to fall and to fail this is an experience that you need to have and everybody needs to have and yet we chase perfectionism Right. Right. Because I know that you have a perfectionism thing. (laughs) I have. I mean, even with all the stuff that I screw up in public. Right. I have a perfectionism thing where I will sit and edit like the tiniest little thing out of a podcast Mm -hmm. because like, honestly, I swear to God, and I've done this. I'll be going through editing a podcast and there is a pause that is a millisecond too long. Like just like just feels like there's a little bit too much silence there. And I will go in and like slice that out frame by frame (laughs) to make it like line up nicely, you know, and it's that kind of stuff that like nobody is ever going to care about. Nobody is going to be like, oh, my God, there was a second of silence. (laughs) Shut this thing off. Like nobody's, you know, nobody's going to do that. And I've had podcasts where there have been so much silence that I've actually checked to make sure my phone did didn't die you know oh yeah yeah there there is not that in my podcast there is no silence man no (laughs) silence you know so I mean like 
I, you know, I understand that there are certain things that like I have to absolutely do, you know, right and, and as perfect as I can get them. But it's so important to to not chase perfection, that perfectionism is really the enemy of everything. It really of is. Of experience, yeah. of, of living, you know, perfectionism hides us in this cloak of invulnerability, which is not good for mm-hmm. us. Well, and, you know, and as a healthy. society, I think we value mm-hmm. and praise accomplishment and we mm-hmm. hide and frown down on practice. So yes. how mm-hmm. are you supposed to get good at something without practicing and how do right. you you know how do you practice without learning to do something badly um like we don't do uh-huh. piano recitals until you've mastered your scales right we <laughs> so right. but I think we we tend to hide the the messy practice we tend to hide the yeah the, mm-hmm. right the middle you right. see the published mm-hmm. book not the not the messy exactly. drafts and exactly. and I think that honoring and valuing and sharing a little more of mm-hmm. the messy practice is actually incredibly good. But in my my very short time that I've been podcasting, I already desperately want to go back and delete my first episodes and do them over because right. I, it, I can't, it just drives me crazy. Practicing in public is hard. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, now I no. know, okay, I can improve here, here, and here. And I want to, so badly to delete them and redo them, but I'm not going to because. But you're not going to because it's important no, that you know. There that is you don't. value yeah. in practicing and there's value in sharing that practice mm-hmm. and letting people see you improve and letting yourself see you improve because that mm-hmm. that's where the hard work is done. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. All right. So what else in the physics of vulnerability, this first chapter, did anything else jump out at you? So I think when she, she kind of went through the, the top 10 ideas. Um, so yeah. one of the mm-hmm. biggest ones that jumped out at me was number five. Creativity embeds knowledge so that it can become practice. We move what we are mm-hmm. learning from our heads to our hearts through our hands. And I mm-hmm. think this is a big deal about creativity being the thing that turns theory into practice creativity yeah some kind of action some kind of making of the thing of doing of the thing is what actually turns an a concept into knowledge that is deep you know that has really become mm-hmm. part of you it's how we actually truly process what we're learning and it's very difficult for me to remember that because as an academic mm-hmm. we we might move from our head to our heart we might be happy just to keep it in our head um yeah and you know maybe mm-hmm. write a journal article about it and that then that's it <laughs> so right. you know getting through that and re- for myself just remembering this mm-hmm. has to be more than mental knowledge like I could summarize right. this book and I can explain the theory behind it and I could do a sociological deconstruction of the you know cultural practices that influence her work but at the end of the day I have to take these ideas let them go through my actual heart and think about how I actually feel about them. And then I have to do something like there mm-hmm. has to be that, mm-hmm. that last piece. And, and according to these rules, that something needs to be creative. And I, mm-hmm. in my schedule, in my life, I'm like you, I have a full-time job. I have a side gig. Right. I work a lot. I'm a single mom. There is very little time left and hardly none of that time goes to creativity. And that mm-hmm. is an area right. that, I now know it's not just something I need to do because I want to and it's fun. It's actually the 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 key to maybe integrating some of this on a deeper level. So I have to challenge oh, myself. Yeah, I mean it's a big part. Yeah. 
with that. Right. It's a big part of who you are because you've always had this. I mean, you've been following me for like 10 years, right? I mean, you've been, maybe you listened longer. to Will Wright for yeah, Wine Will Wright back for in wine. the day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which, by the way, that's that's a deep cut that's going, talk about imperfection. I that was my first podcast. That, podcast. Man, that was my first podcast I ever listened to. <laughs> I love it. It was, it was, oh, really? Oh, how cool. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was really fun. And I think that like, it was right at the beginning of my uh, my just starting to understand I, I'd written a couple of books you know and we were talking about writing and um and there's so much that I would go back now and probably be like oh Lonnie that's not good advice don't tell people <laughs> that that's not right you know um there's so many things that I didn't know then that I know now because I've been studying stories so deeply for all of these years you know um but that is that is absolutely like a bit of the imperfection that is still out there anybody can subscribe to it and listen to it but I'm just gonna say I may not stand by that advice now you may have heard me say something completely <laughs> contradictory to what I said back then, but I was I was young and I was drunk, so, um, so that's, that's my excuse for it. But uh, but yeah, Will Write for Wine was one of those things too, where I was just like I just said okay, I'm going to do this podcast, and I pulled my friend uh, Cindy into it, and I was like I made her do it with me, and um, and I had no idea. Like I'd heard a couple of podcasts, and I was like yeah, I can do that. <laughs> It just went in and did it, you know, and it was uh, it was crazy and it was fun and uh, and it was a, a good experience, definitely. But I do think that that, you know, because you've been listening to, you know, to me talking about creativity and writing and all that stuff for so long, you know, you obviously have this desire to do that creative work. I do. I do. Yeah, so yeah. I think that you should do it. I think that's awesome. And I think that this podcast, actually, this is a creative thing. Southern Fried Scholar, which is amazing, and I love <laughs> that podcast that you do, um, is also, you know, part of that creativity. You are creating yeah. things. Um, one of the things that uh, I'm actually going to, because this is one of my big yeses, this is my big yes for the thing. We've got the the big yes, the strong challenge, and the and the big idea. Oh, or the, oh. my yes, the strong challenge, the big idea. Okay. This is my yes. Um which um, which comes right after the creativity thing that you were talking about. It says, we are born makers and creativity is the ultimate act of integration. It is how we fold out experiences or fold our experiences into our being, right? Yeah. And, um, and to me, like one of the things that I did when, you know, and, and everybody who listens to this podcast is going to hear me talking about this because I'm still actually in, as I talked about in the first episode, the, the wound and not the scar of this experience of my whole life falling apart, um, in January of this year, um, that I, I spent a couple of weeks in the fetal position, just crying all day and, and unsure of how I was going to continue. I, I thought I was going to die. I really literally thought I was going to die. Um, and one day I woke up and I just had this idea and it was just this simple idea of a, you know, cause I do a lot of graphic design. I do book covers for people and I've been doing graphic design for a while. And I had this image in my head of this, this create, you know, that, that was my answer. And it's, it's, you know, so I, I went and I got like a background from somewhere, you know, some creative commons thing or whatever. And then I, I put uh, like a font over it that said create, you know, and I made this image and I posted it to Twitter and I was like, this is my answer. And I didn't know at that time that I was going to start Chipperish, that I was going to launch this media company, that I was going to do Jed Bartlett as my president, that I was going to create How Story Works, that I was going to do Still Pretty, which is my you know continuation of the Buffy discussion, right. um, that I was going to find a place to do all this stuff. All I knew is that I woke up on that morning and I thought, I have to create. I have to create something. And that it was through that creation that I was going to find 
my answer and I was going to find my healing. And this was at a time where I was pretty sure that I wasn't ever going to heal. I was pretty sure that I was never going to be whole again. Right. Um, but I woke up that one morning and I thought, I'm just going to make this graphic. And I think that may have been the only thing I did that day, you know, aside from like taking care of my kids and making sure they got to school and they had food, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, and I made that and I'll, I'll share that on the, in the show notes. We'll have all sorts of imagery yes, in the show notes uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like in, in my most vulnerable moment where everything was a mess and I was absolutely face down, bloodied and muddy and, and just unable to even get back up. Like that moment where somebody has been knocked down and you're like, are they alive? Like that's how <laughs> I was at that moment. And I, and I made this, this thing that said create, and I just knew that that was my answer. I didn't know specifically how it was going to be my answer, but I knew that was going to be my answer. So this is like, this is my yes for this week is that, that idea of, of creativity being the thing, well, you know, that, that, that by creating something, we're able to kind of harmonize everything that is us yeah. and, and find ourselves again. You know what that tells me about you? Is, I don't even know what it tells oh, you about me. It's wonderful. <laughs> so what I think has happened is that mm-hmm. without even realizing mm-hmm. it, you have built this amazing, resilient muscle. You have learned how to fall without realizing mm-hmm. that you've learned how to fall because you know that oh. creativity is your way back up. And so yeah. it, it came to you this time. Because you've used that muscle in the past. And so you've actually already integrated that lesson. So you're using mm-hmm. creativity as your, as your falling mechanism. That's how you yeah. got back up. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That's pretty I don't amazing. Know. All I know is that I was pretty sure I was going to die. <laughs> I was pretty sure my whole life was over oh. and that I was never going to recover. And that was uh, five months ago. Yeah. Because yes. well, the heart of who you are cannot be mm-hmm. broken in a fall. Yeah. You know, and that that desire mm-hmm. that you had to create something and to make something as your way back through recovery maybe because you mm-hmm. are so in tune with your creativity. I think it's remarkable. Maybe. Wow. I don't know. Um for me it just it just was I woke up and I thought that's it, you know, and then it was a few days after that that I woke up and thought chipperish and, and <laughs> Jeff Bartlett is my president and I'm going to create this podcast. And I threw myself into that work and the work, the work honestly healed me and saved me. I mean, I'm not I'm still deeply in the wound, guys. It's just a matter of time before I start crying on this podcast. I'm gonna tell you that it's just gonna happen. <laughs> so get your get your wine glasses out and it's a drinking game and I will make you seriously drunk. But um yeah, I don't know. It, it's just, it It was the only thing I could do. It was the only thing that made me feel like me again. Like, I didn't feel like I knew myself anymore, you know, right. after everything that I'd been through, not just in the breakup, but through the marriage, which was, which was deeply, deeply dysfunctional. Um, and, uh, and so through that whole thing, through the last six years of my life, that was when I reappeared to me. You know, for the first time in that brief glimpse, that moment in that morning, you know, I saw myself again and I could recognize that it was like that tiniest sliver of light and I could follow it through to wherever the crack was. Like there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. You know, that's yes. Leonard Cohen. Yes. Um, and uh, and so that's what that's what led me through it. I think that's really so that's my amazing. yes for this week. I, I jumped I ahead it. of what we're doing at the end. No, that's it's my great. yes for this week. But as well, long as we were on the topic. Yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. my big idea for the week comes from the same paragraph. Actually, that's really oh, funny. Yeah? 
Yeah, so it was the mm-hmm. the last sentence of that. Still talking about number five mm-hmm. with, with creativity. Mm-hmm. So my big aha, yes, I mean, my you know, that big idea was um, mm-hmm. what we understand and learn about Rising Strong is only rumor until we live it and integrate it through some form of creativity so that it becomes part of us. And and oh, I realized yeah. that the intellectual work alone was not going to be enough for this. Mm-hmm. This is going to require yeah. something a little more. Um, so that was a big aha mm-hmm. for me. So, so what oh, about this, this strong cool. challenge? So what did you read that you resisted? <laughs> oh God, no. Uh, and this is where I'm going to cry. Cause I do every time. Um, there is, and it's just a phrase that she uses and mm-hmm. she uses it for the first time. Um, on, uh, I don't even know. I think it was in the beginning. I think, oh, it is. It's at the end of the, the qualitative quantitative introduction, the note on research, um, where she says, this means we will all struggle and fall. We will know what it means to be both brave and brokenhearted. And, oh, oh God damn it, here okay, I go. Um, okay. there is something about that phrase. Um, because the thing is that like, I'm comfortable with the bravery and I'm comfortable with getting up and I'm comfortable with like kicking ass and like doing stuff, but it is the understanding that that comes from. You're okay. It's okay. From like the, you know, from the, the broken heart, Right. you know, the idea that it's the broken hearted part that I hate dealing with, that I hate talking about that I hate acknowledging is I can get up and I can kick ass and I can create stuff and I can be strong. I don't want to be brokenhearted. I don't want to be devastated the way that I've been devastated by all of this. Right. God right. damn it. I hate this I so know. much. I know. Well, and this is the part that just sucks out loud, right? Because you're embracing that just absolute bad ass bravery that is part of who you are. But you're also having to deal with that at the same time that you're going through heartbreak. And that's real yeah. and that's happening in the moment. Um, and it's actually incredible that you're able to do that. Uh, but but holding that dichotomy, and she talked about that, accepting both of those yeah. things as true, right? False dichotomies will kill us. That you right. can be, you know, you in fact are both brave and brokenhearted at the same time. And it's really a powerful idea to realize that you are strong enough to be both of those things at once. Yeah. You know, that you're not brave when everything is going well, right? <laughs> that that yeah. those, those two things are true simultaneously. And and yeah. being able to remember that is, is very, very difficult. And going through heartbreak does not turn off your bravery. But turning on your bravery does not turn off the heartbreak either. You know, and, it, yeah. and it's real. And see, that's what I want to do, though. Like, I know. yeah, like how vulnerable that broken heart, like when I'm brave, I'm being I'm standing up and I'm showing that I can like continue on and I can do the work and I can do what I need to do. I'm still so heart and bro- heartbroken by all of this. Right. You know, well, you can't control you can't control the feeling of heartbreak. You don't get to choose yeah. what breaks your heart and what doesn't, <laughs> you know, but it's, yeah. it's interesting. Um, I, I actually was thinking about you last night. I saw um, Cheryl Sandberg yeah. talking at an event and she was talking mm-hmm. about her new book called Plan B and it's about processing grief and going through grief. 
And she had this, this one kind of my big takeaway from that talk was that when we fall into grief, whether it's from a death or from a divorce or from a disaster, Mm -hmm. you know, or from something horrible happening to us or being done to us, that our sort of instinct is to believe, number one, that it's our fault. Number two, (laughs) right, that the whole world is now horrible. And number three, Mm -hmm. that it will always be horrible. And those Mm -hmm. three truths combined can break a person. But the truth is, none of this is your fault. Everything is not terrible. There are a whole lot of things that are terrible, but there's still a lot of things that are really good. And it Mm -hmm. will not be horrible forever. And that's the big thing. And I think when Brene Brown talks about sharing our stories, that it helps to be able to tell someone, I have also been through grief. I have been through a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. I have survived an abusive relationship. And what you're feeling now is normal, but you won't feel it forever. Instead mm-hmm. of just going up to someone and saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. Can, do you need anything? <laughs> right. right. Can I make you Can, a casserole? Right. I mean, <laughs> all right. Now, I'm Southern. Don't be knocking the casseroles. <laughs> I'm just no, kidding. I'm I, just kidding. I, the casserole has its time and place. You want to bring me a casserole, baby? I'm all for it. <laughs> but but we, we have that tendency. And, and also, people tend to to be silent when, when they experience someone else's pain because no one knows what to say, you know? And the Mm -hmm. biggest thing is just, we don't ever want to be alone and no one grieves. Mm -hmm. No one has gone through any kind of trauma as the only person that has ever experienced it. Right. Unless you're Mm -hmm. Dr. Who and you're the only one of your kind, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. then someone else has felt what you're feeling. Someone else has gone through it. Right. And so I think sharing Mm -hmm. those stories not only help us heal, but we help each other realize, yes, Mm -hmm. when you fall, it fucking hurts and it's awful. Yeah. But you will be okay. It's going to take time and this is how you're going to feel and this is how long it took me. You know, and and by being able to share that with each other, we can realize it's not our fault. Everything is not horrible Mm -hmm. and it won't last forever. And that's that's a powerful thing to do for each other instead of just trying Mm -hmm. to say, oh, everything's going to be okay." You know, just honor. Which is what I like. Yeah. I I made I made a graphic that said create. It's only going to be fine. Right. (laughs) No, but, but, but it's different than just saying it will all be okay because you are creating your way through it. I don't mm-hmm, think that yeah. you quite realized like how amazing you were doing with that because you had already started this rising strong process without realizing it. But you, yeah, your reaction yeah. to this heartbreak was to build a new company and launch like 17,000 new podcasts. <laughs> And started your job and, you know, kick ass all over the place. And, and a new job. You know, yeah. I, I think that that's kind of a win. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's no, pretty it's amazing. a win. Right? Everything's better than it was. I mean, I spent six years loving him and hating myself. And I didn't realize until he left that that wasn't right. No. That that wasn't normal. That's right. You know? And, um, and that that was the result of some, some really bad stuff that he was doing when he was here, you know? And, um... And now I, I realize that I recognize that I'm happier than I've been in a really long time, you know, um, but it's that whenever I read that phrase, brave and brokenhearted, it, it does something to me, yeah. you know, yeah. and like, I don't want it. I don't want the broken heart, but it is part of the whole thing. Like, I don't think you can have 
you know, the rest of it without acknowledging that there's there's very real pain that this strength comes from, that, you know, the scar tissue that is stronger than the rest of everything else comes right. from a wound, you yes. know, it comes from that. So, Absolutely. all right, so enough of this and me and my crap. What is your, <laughs> <laughs> what is your, what is the thing that you resist from this, uh, from this reading? What is okay. your big challenge? So this really surprised me. Um, but I, and I didn't think it was going to, but my strong challenge, I actually put the book down. And so I made myself go back and underline the damn sentence (laughs) because I realized (laughs) I had put the book down. And, and so I was resisting this word, uh, but it's on the very Mm -hmm. last page of the chapter in the last paragraph. And she talks about rising strong as a spiritual practice. And she says, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, When our intentions and actions are guided by spirituality, our belief in our interconnectedness and love, our everyday experiences can be spiritual practices. Asking for help Mm -hmm. and receiving help can be spiritual practices. Storytelling and creating can be spiritual practices because they cultivate awareness. And I put the book down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I only had like four sentences left. And I got to that and I went, yep. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I'm done. Done. I'm signing <laughs> Where's out. Where's my wine? <laughs> and so, like, I really had to go back and unpack what about that bothered me so much. You know, I believe uh-huh. in spirituality. Yeah. I believe in storytelling. Uh-huh. I believe in creating. Like, they're all good things, mm-hmm. right? But I think that it, I mean, you know, I think combining them means that you have to tell true stories. And you have to tell real stories and they have to be, you know, stories that may not be as polished or as pretty as you would like them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a big challenge for me. That's going to be very difficult, you know, for me to to connect those two things. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get challenged by the the spirituality thing, too, because I'm not like I'm not terribly religious. I come from a line of preachers, man. I got (laughs) preachers going back three generations deep in my family and they're very religious people. And I'm just not like, yeah, I, I, you know, believe in mystery. I believe that there are things that I don't have the answer to. I believe that there's there's something more. You know, like that, that when you die, you don't just die and that's it. But maybe you do. Who the hell knows? I won't know. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, But, you know, but the the connection with spirituality and with this idea of grace, I think, because she has at the end, grace will take you places hustling can't. Right. You know, and I find that to be like kind of an empty sentiment for me, you know, although I do like deeply believe in this idea of grace that we offer each other. Right. You know, that, that there are times where, you know, this idea of grace being something you receive, but you don't deserve. Right. You know, that, that somebody gives it to you out of, out of grace, you know, and that, that is to be able to accept that. Um, to be able to accept that I have something and I've received something that I didn't, you know, I didn't fight for, I didn't earn, I didn't, I don't deserve, you know, I'm not good enough for it. Yeah. You know, see, it if is, you were a book right a really now, really difficult concept for me. <laughs> yeah. If you, see? if you were a book right there, I would have, I would have closed you and set you nicely down on my yeah. desk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is like, I believe in that. I do too. I'm not comfortable I just don't want to do it. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I don't want to accept. Exactly. Exactly. I, so I find that I find that really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I really struggle with the idea of being given something mm-hmm. that I haven't earned and that yeah. I don't deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, like, but you do. I, I, like I, you know, everybody <laughs> deserves. Everybody deserves it. Everybody yeah. deserves a chance and and to be given 
just be cut some damn slack. Yeah, I struggle you know? with it though. Um, like I, I earned, yeah. um, I was given a, a big award as a graduate student, and I was really upset. <laughs> I had a oh! like I had um, a very difficult time with it, and I felt that I was. Uh, are they just giving this to me because I'm the only single mom in the program? Like, was it like? Aww. I mean, the, you know, how no, could I, I possibly too, deserve that? Like I struggle. It's a it. This is a big area for me. So, yeah. um, I didn't mm-hmm. want to read any more about that topic, <laughs> and and I. <laughs> so that's going to be my big strong challenge. And maybe it just comes that's down your, to that's your challenge to, yeah. to being able to accept grace. It's going to be very difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I think I think you need to be able to accept that. It's it's tough. Like I got to say, um, I we're recording this on a day where a bunch of people on Twitter decided to declare it Lonnie Appreciation Day. Woohoo! You know, yes. and Lonnie Appreciation and Day. They, I love it. I know, I know, but it's like, and this is the thing, you know. And again, comes down to like, I don't want to do something. I don't want to like take up attention if if it's not of value to somebody else if I'm not doing so like if it's all about me I get very uncomfortable with that and I want to like shuffle you know shuffle the spotlight onto somebody else or whatever so I've had this whole day where people have been incredibly gracious and incredibly kind to me and um and doing all this stuff sending me goat gifts on Twitter which is adorable because <laughs> I have this thing goats make me happy baby goats make me happy mm-hmm. I love goats you know it's just that people send me these goat gifts and it just like you know makes my day but everything all day today has been about me and I just had a birthday on you know a couple of days ago and so everything like that day was all about everything happy birthday I'm like uh <laughs> like <laughs> um And I mean, I think sometimes you have to like, you have to just let people celebrate you. Yeah. You know, you have to let that happen. And I'm sure whatever this award was, that you earned it out of who you were, that they didn't just give it to you because they were like, oh, let's spin the wheel and it landed on Kelly, you know, whatever. Um, You know, you, you work hard and you deserve what you get. And when people appreciate you, like you deserve that. And it is, it is kind of hard to to accept that like I'm, I'm not comfortable with it either yeah so it's really you know I, I i stumbled over that a little bit too yeah but i am a big fan of lonnie appreciation day <laughs> um, well see if it was dr jones appreciation day i would love it too yeah that would totally it would be suck. about you so <laughs> yeah let's go okay. ahead and let's turn yeah, that spotlight that. and it's incredibly kind. like the thing is is that people when people do stuff like that for you like you have to acknowledge and appreciate that they are doing that because they love you, because yeah. they appreciate you, because they want to do something for you. And it's it's really difficult but to receive that. It is. And it's, um, and it's but, really funny, too, because um, and, and I think you're the same way. Like, I am a person who gives mm-hmm. to others. And so are you. And, yeah. and I'm a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the mom, like, I'm just kind of who I am. But yeah, I have a group of, of very good friends that we became friends in graduate school. And and that's a very special, you know, group, kind of Guardians of the Galaxy sort of magic that brought us yeah. all together. Uh-huh. And and it's more than a tribe and it's more than family. Like, we, we really love each other. And after mm-hmm. about two years, I mean, we, we were together so much. You know, we had to eat meals together and go out together. I mean, we were together constantly because we were all working on these, these PhDs at the same time. And one day, um, we met up for a study session and... 
it was somebody else's turn to bring pizza and I was running late which shock Mm -hmm. Uh, those of you who know me this is a daily occurrence my son calls it Mm -hmm. Kelly time I'm always running late (laughs) and so I rushed in you know full of apology because I was running late and it was all crazy and um, so there are all these wonderful people sitting there waiting for me and they were like don't worry about it we went ahead and got pizza and here we got this one for you and it was cheese pizza mm-hmm. with pineapple on it, which is my favorite pizza. Aww. And I Aww. stood there in the doorway and broke down sobbing like a maniac, Aww. crying so hard I could barely breathe. Because these people knew and remembered that I like pineapple on my pizza. And they ordered it without <laughs> even asking me. And I'm like, Aww. no one does. Like, really? I mean, it just. <laughs> so being able to sort of accept that kind of love. Um, or just mm-hmm. that kind of appreciation and acknowledgement from people is, is difficult. And I don't know why, but it is. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just yeah. my, my challenge. I'm going to have to work on it. <laughs> so, so we, that is, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. So we have our big ideas. <laughs> we have our strong challenge. Mm-hmm. And what about our yes? So what is, what is your self-assigned homework? Like, what are you going to do this week? What is your yes? What is your action you're going to take? What is my yes? I don't know. What's your yes? Ah. Why don't you tell me what your yes is? And then I'll find what mine is. So (laughs) I need a little help with my yes. Um, She talked a lot in here about the badassery deficit and fighting Uh that. And so I think part of this for me is accepting and maybe celebrating a little bit of my own badassery and I want to get better at that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. embracing the need for creativity. So I figured that my yes should be to make something like it should be an act of mm-hmm. creativity, right? So that I'm not just staying yeah. in, intellectually engaged with this book. Um, and I'm making the podcast with you, but that's still a conversation, mm-hmm. right? And I'm journaling, but that's yeah. processing. So I feel like, mm-hmm. To, to really do this homework justice, I should make something, but I have no Ooh. clue what that should be. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I think that's very cool. So I don't know. I like that. Do you do, yeah. do you do like, do you have creative hobbies? Do you like oh, knit or okay. crochet so or like, I have no skills outside of a computer. <laughs> if there is a zombie mm-hmm. apocalypse, Y'all just go ahead and send me out first. It's okay. I won't take it personally. <laughs> I will go out there and try to have a culturally relevant conversation with them, and they can eat me first, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I I cannot cook, sew, paint, draw, clay, make, knit. Um, I actually took a sewing mm-hmm. class one time where the instructor patted me on the head and said, it's okay, honey, you're good at computers. Um, like, oh. <laughs> I have absolutely no skills um, at all. Mm -hmm. Nothing. So I will be starting completely from scratch. But I I don't know. Well, that'll be really interesting. So I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know. And it could be incredibly small, you know. Um, I think it might involve. Have you ever collaged? No. Okay, because here's the thing. Um, you know, with writing, like in a lot of my, my discovery classes, which is about figuring out what you want to write and figuring out what your story is about. Um, one of the things that I recommend people do is that they collage that they, you know, like, and I usually do it in a scrapbook cause it's a nice contained space, but you got to get like paper and glue and like all this kind of stuff and like put something together that speaks to the story that you want to tell. Oh. And you have always been 
a writer. Like you, you want to write, you want to tell a story. And I know that you've got that in you. You've got that whole, you did your dissertation on NaNoWriMo, which is all about that creativity. So I'm wondering if, if you couldn't go out to like Michael's and get one of those little scrapbooks and get like the, the papers and, and maybe start thinking about a story, start doing some discovery work and create just one page of a collage about like your main character or something like that. Like collaging is always the thing that I resist in the discovery process. Ah. Um, but it's always the most valuable to me because I resist it so much. Okay. And maybe you can do something like that. What do you think? I have completely resisted collaging. <laughs> I took your discovery class and loved it and made a yeah. playlist and thought collage. Nope. Moving on. I, nope. I set it okay. down politely. I want you. That's okay. your assignment. All right. That's your assignment. You're going and you're doing that. I will make now, a collage. My assignment, <laughs> my big yes, mm-hmm. my challenge that I'm going to take, I think comes from you telling me to get a nice journal. Yes. And to write crappy things. Yes. In it. So I'm going to do that. That's going to be my yes. It doesn't so much come from the book. Okay. As it comes from this conversation. But I think that that's okay. I do. I think it's great. Because one of the things that come from the book, one of the things in the book is this, we like recovery stories to move quickly through the dark so we can get to the sweeping, redemptive ending. That's right. You know, like we don't want to go through the dirty stuff, you know, and, and that's, I think, part of why I don't want to write in a journal. I especially don't want to write the things that I'm feeling and thinking right now because they are ugly. Right. They're not, you know, like I'm, I'm in a lot of pain and I'm angry and, yeah. and I don't like that. I don't want to be that person. Right. And I think that maybe I need to have some expression of that and I need to take a pretty journal and write my little ugly feelings in it. I do. I think <laughs> you should take a very pretty journal with beautiful pages I that feel good right. and you fill it up with All ugliness. Right. I think you should. That's my assignment. Yeah. I'm just going to fill it up with nothing but ugly. Yeah. Um, so I'm, because I got to tell you, I got a lot of those tweets. Yeah. The tweets that I don't send. That's right. <laughs> well, and that's okay, right? Ugly. I mean, mm-hmm. we right? we love and honor the idea of a shitty first draft. And so that will be your yeah, shitty right. first draft mm-hmm. folder. I mean, your, okay. your shitty first All draft right. journal. Well, I'll do that. So, But I think... I will do that. We can, we can have one last excerpt from the book because this uh-huh. this is the the sentence that we're both going to end on okay so yeah. in the introduction truth or dare when she talks about mm-hmm. the bad assery deficit dr brown yes. says there are too many people today who instead of feeling hurt are acting out their hurt instead of acknowledging mm-hmm. pain they're inflicting pain on others rather than mm-hmm. risking feeling disappointed they're choosing to live disappointed emotional stoicism mm-hmm. is not badassery Blustery posturing is not badassery. Swagger is not badassery. Perfection is about the furthest thing in the world from badassery. Wow. So we're going to go be imperfect badasses. (laughs) Imperfect badasses. That sounds really good. And it sounds like a nice note for us to take our closing quote at the end of every episode of Big Strong Yes. One of us is going to read a quote. I got this week's quote. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that out. comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, who has a lot of really great quotes, and I like her a lot. But her quote is, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You are able to say to yourself, I lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along.
Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>